you have to have within a certain time period a scale of production that allows you to sell to the big distributors. Otherwise, they're not really interested in what you have to offer unless you can provide them with the orders that they're requesting. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my Great to Wealth listeners. Today, we have the pleasure to talk to David Smith. David is one of our guests that we have not actually brought this kind of investment opportunity or even this sector before. We're today talking about ag invest, basically agriculture, investment in agriculture. And uh, David specializes in it. He's sitting in a unique place right now, Latin America. I'll let him explain where he's from and what kind of drove him there. I know David and his partners through a mastermind that I belong in. We were in Belize last year, and one of his partner actually spoke at the event. That's really when I got you got, got exposed to this whole sector myself. So I thought I'll invite David so we can learn together and kind of see if the investment makes sense for anyone. David, welcome to the show. Appreciate you carving our time, my friend. Well, thank you very much for the invitation, Sakit. This is a, quite a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And David, where are you calling us from? I'm currently in Panama City, Panama. Awesome, man. It's a beautiful I've place. Hopefully the weather is much, hopefully weather is much nicer there. It is. It's uh, well, our summer and winter basically have the same temperature. It's just some has less yeah. rain than others. <laughs> oh, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. So, David, help us. First of all, thank you again for joining. I know um, it was a long time coming. So I'm glad that our schedules aligned for you to appear on the show. So, David, help our listeners understand at a very, very high level. Then we'll go deeper into your migration journey and how you got to do what you're doing. But what do you do right now? And what kind of brought you there, not the entire journey? Well, I basically, uh, many years ago, decided that I wanted to sort of change my lifestyle. I wanted to go to a different country and perhaps get involved in a different business. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the adventure sort of started with uh, real estate in mm. Central America, in yeah. Nicaragua, and in some degree in Panama, with the Remax franchises and so forth. And then later on, I invested in agriculture by way of a good friend who kept urging me to differentiate my investment portfolio mm -hmm. because food is such an important business. And in the future, as we all probably know now after COVID, it's even more important. Correct. You know, because when, when there's shortages, it affects the world. Okay. So that's sort of what got me started in it. For my own portfolio and then as i got more exposure i realized that you know this is really a very interesting uh, investment and i would like to be a part of it and a side benefit as i also mentioned earlier it's really given me a different perspective on how food arrives to the supermarket yeah you know, all of the work and all of the planning and all of the money invested to make this all work and work profitably okay because uh, you know uh, many farmers around the world they cease being a farmer because they cannot do it profitably right okay so consequently by way of scale you know big businesses now run most of the agriculture around the world and they do it profitably and what i do is that 
I specialize in certain projects, certain uh, companies that I feel are solid and are going to be around 10, 15, 20 years from now mm-hmm. and provide my investors with a good profit over right. the long term. Because one way to look at uh, agricultural investments in general is that it's almost like buying a house. It's a form of generational wealth. Right. So you buy a home, you have a 30-year mortgage, and hopefully not too many years down the road, you have some good appreciation. So you have some equity. And it's similar in a way with agriculture because if you invest in some kind of citrus tree, mm-hmm. that tree will essentially last 25 years. Right. You see? So, so for... Uh, different investors, they're attracted to that because not only will they profit from it, but this is something that they can hand down to their family, you know, to their children and things like that. So that's why we tend to refer to it as generational wealth. It's, and what I mean by that is it's a, it's a type of wealth that doesn't go up and down like the stock market or crypto mm-hmm. or anything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. It's a very, very stable and steady increase you know, it takes in, you know, things like recessions or price changes. And it just, it's sort of like if you looked at the stock market over a 40 year span, right. it goes up and up and down and up and down, but it eventually continues to rise. In the case of agriculture, you don't have such huge up and downs. It just goes steadily up the market and it can take into account operating cost increase or material increase. But in the end, these types of increases of our operating costs are transmitted over to the end consumer. Yeah, I think part of that so, is, David, I'm assuming the biggest thesis there is everyone's got to eat food, right? Exactly. Right. You can That's choose exactly. to do something else with their money, but food is something that you can't really, don't have an option op- option of not eating, especially at the extent That's of time, right? So food's always going to be there. And if your production cost of the food is increasing, and you as a company has to be yeah. profitable, Unfortunately, that burden yeah. ends up being on the end consumers, what you're talking about, right? That's so, so I think and, one, and that's one, why we're, well, that's also why we consider it to be a very solid hedge against inflation. Yeah. You see, yeah. because it can take in inflation and still make you money mm-hmm. because the demand is still there. You know, right. people are going to eat regardless on every level in the world. You know, I mean, uh, whether they're, they're not so wealthy or they're middle income or wealthy, they're all going to eat some kinds of food all the right. time, regardless. Of right. Now, I think that makes sense. Now, I think let's take a deeper dive, David, in terms of the macro level of what's happening in the agriculture space. Right. And like you made a few comments about a few references about how most of the farmers have not been profitable. So big companies are not running the farmlands. Of uh, And that probably story applies across the globe. So when that situation happened, how does it actually change, right? Is in terms of when you're looking at the investment landscape, if it's already been run by major giants, how are we as an investor, are we investing? Should we always look at companies that are already there who have the mammoth of a presence? They know how to do it. They've done it well, kind of like just buy a public stock in that versus investing with someone like yourself who are basically buying dirt. Right, you're buying real asset. You're not just buying investing in the company. Yeah. You have an asset that's backed because investing with yourself, which we haven't talked about yet, is you're buying a piece of land. You're buying a greenhouse, right? You're basically 
where that tree will be cultivated is what you're buying. You're not buying a tree. You're buying a land, and the tree happens to be on the land. So how do you well, look at Well, that's a very good question. Well, there's a couple different ways to look at this. If you look at the United States, for example, mm-hmm. this kind of investment would never be available, really, in the United States on a grand scale because these huge conglomerates, they own huh. you know, hundreds of thousands of acres of land, and this is... Right. massive production. But when you go there to the second or third world markets, there's a lot of opportunity there if you look at what is not available. You see? And so I think uh, if you take, for example, citrus in Paraguay. Now, one thing that, and I'll make, I think this is important for your listeners to know, Paraguay is one of the largest agricultural uh, producers in the world. Wow. That's all they've ever done is agriculture. So I strongly suggest for anyone who listens to this podcast and has an interest that they Google Paraguay, because that's what I had to do (laughs) when I got involved with this. I just didn't know. So this little country of 7 million people feeds about 80 million. Wow. Yeah. They are, I believe, the number three soybean exporter in the world. Mm. They export basically row crops. So soybean, corn, chia, things like that. They also, they're, I think they're the sixth or seventh largest exporter of beef. They have big cattle, wow. you know, like Uruguay, and Argentina. That whole area is cattle, right. you know. Right. So it's also a part of that. And so, and they're also one of the largest exporters of electricity in the world by no way of this way. huge dam. Yes, that sits on the wow. border, yeah, between Brazil and Paraguay. Hmm. So this is all that they do. They, that's what they've been known for in, for years and years. However... There's some food products that they import, citrus being one of them, Mm. because sitting next door in the north is Brazil, which happens to be the largest citrus growing country in the world. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So Karsten was looking around and, and, you know, doing, you know, pricing analysis and things like that. and, And he identifies basically what he does. He identifies opportunities to compete against what's imported into Paraguay at obviously at a higher price. I like that. Okay. So so the first niche that he began with was citrus. Mm -hmm. So we started with oranges, lemons, mandarins, things like that. And all of this production is for internal consumption. Mm. And this is another key point. You see, you have if you go into this trying to compete with the big boys, you're just not going to make you're it. You're not going to make you're it. You're just not going to make it. They'll just squash you. But right. if you're in there in your own little country and you're, you're selling a few things, they don't, you know, that's not a big deal to them. They, they, they're the number one exporter. But so that's where he started. And then the next area that he took a look at was vegetables. Hmm. And in Paraguay, it's not a big vegetable growing country. And part of the reason is, is because Paraguay is quite a warm, quite a warm country. It has a very short winter. It can get down to 
30, 32, 34, 40 degrees, but it's about a six week winter and, that, and that's it. So because of the heat, and it's not a traditional type of, I mean, they have vegetables there, but they're not very appealing. Right. The really good vegetables that the consumers you know, really want to buy, and not only consumers, but restaurants and so forth, are imported. And they're basically imported from places like Argentina, but they're expensive. So the second area that he identified was, well, hey, if I can build some greenhouses and grow vegetables here, I can certainly compete with what's being imported. Right. So everything that we grow is for internal consumption in, in Paraguay. Now, now having wow. said that, yes, this and this is key because you, you've got to know the market. You've got to know the, the market capacity. And you've got to do at least a three, four, five year forecast on what you, where you think the market's going to be. Yeah. Because you have to be very careful, especially in the case of greenhouses on market saturation. Of course, with, with greenhouses, you always have the ability to export, you know, from time to time. So this has been key in putting together what we grow and where we sell it mm-hmm. and where we're going to be. When we have, I mean, right now, I think we have around uh, 350,000 citrus trees. Mm-hmm. However, the plan is to have maybe three times that amount. Okay. But connected to that investment is the juicing plant. Mm-hmm. So we have a juicing plant that will be built later this year. So then you divide that category of citrus into direct consumer, supermarket, and then industrial. Correct. Right. See, so that way you have different avenues to sell the product. And that's the same thing that we do with the vegetables. We grow primarily at this point in the uh, vegetable greenhouses. We, we, we do about 70% tomatoes mm-hmm. and then we do peppers and cucumbers as well because the demand in the Paraguayan uh, supper table always has these fruits and vegetables, you know, tomato, wow. You know, is is really a fruit, <laughs> not a vegetable. But right. uh, the red peppers, yellow peppers, things like this is this is the common diet, along mm-hmm. with beef. It's a big beef country like Argentina. You know, your famous Argentinian beef. So we provide these kinds of staples, and the way that we do it is by inviting other investors because it's it's you have to have within a certain time period a scale of production. Mm-hmm. that allows you to sell to the big distributors. Right. You see, otherwise they're not really interested in what you have to offer unless you can provide them with the orders that they're requesting. You right. see? Correct. And so this is all a part of that. And so we feel that we've identified, uh, you know, key markets. I mean, right now we have 24 operating vegetable greenhouses by April, we'll have 40 operating. Nice. Yeah. So to give you an idea of the scale and the orders, up till now, we have been selling our vegetables to just a few distributors that need smaller orders. Mm-hmm. But now we can go with the bigger guys because they've said to us, hey, we really like your product, but we can't have unfilled orders. Right. You know. 
Right. That's, so we kind of structured it where, you know, we feel now that we've, we're going to have enough vegetable greenhouses to provide everything that the investors, I'm sorry, the uh, distributors need. And we won't be overextended where we have to lower our prices because right. this is very important. So the idea behind the business plan was, okay, we're going to build X number of units and we're going to try to take a certain percentage of the import market within three years. Mm -hmm. And then after we have these greenhouses operating full steam, you know, for three, four years, because we'll have in the end, 44 of them in the end, right. we'll take a look at that. And then if there's more opportunity, or maybe there's an export opportunity or something like that, only then will we build more greenhouses. So I love that, David. I think what, what you're basically saying is, look, there's multiple agricultural play you could have had, but the way you structure sure. the deal is you could have gone after the import market because import's already hot, right? But I export market because export's already hot. But you actually went to figure out what do we import? And if you can provide, if you can actually arbitrage the pricing, if somebody's charging a dollar, you charge an 80, you still make a lot of money and the consumers are going to go to you because it's a cheaper product and it's locally made and all that good stuff. So I love that thesis behind it, right? So where are you with the market share right now? Have you guys thought about looking at that, David? So the citrus import was X per X, for example. Are you at almost reaching X or are you 50% there? What, what percentage of market share would you say you have? I think right now for the citrus and the vegetable, we've got about 30% of the market right now. So you still have 70% right available. So you're still, the plan is to continue moving forward, right? Unless you hit a point yeah, where well, you see, think it's as a saturation. Oh, no, no, no. We only have that amount because that's all we can produce at the moment. Correct, correct, correct. That's the reason. You see, we have been functioning for the last, well, let's say since 2021, mm -hmm with the vegetable greenhouses in 2021, we had uh, 16 greenhouses. Yeah. In 2022, we had 24. Wow. And so in 2023, we're going to have 44. Hmm. So nice. Oh yeah. So it's going to be much, much bigger. Let's say when we get to around 2025 or 26, when we've had all of these greenhouses operating, then we can take a look at, you know, when we're at full production and we've been able to conclude, you know, negotiations with the biggest distributors and right. fill their orders at that time, we'll take a look back and go, okay, is there more opportunity or are we good? Because you would be very careful before you made a decision of, well, we've got 44 greenhouses operating, our profitability is good, our market share is good. Should we put in another 16 mm -hmm. or 20 right that has to be very carefully analyzed got it you know got before, it. You, before you do that so so what i'm saying essentially about the greenhouses those are more or less finite numbers mm -hmm. so at this point right now we're pretty much sold out of the vegetable greenhouses right we don't we don't have any more vegetable greenhouses to offer investors we don't. Um, we're almost in that situation with the, the hydroponic strawberry greenhouses as well. Mm -hmm. We have a few remaining of the 60. We've sold in the last two years 
50 some hydroponic strawberry greenhouses, which are now under construction. We just started construction of these in January. Okay. So our business plan is to have 60. Uh, It's going to take us two years to build those 60. And you're almost sold out? For investors, they're almost sold out. We have yeah. we have maybe two or three, right? Because That's you see, amazing. it's not only yeah, it's not only what I do; it's what they do in Germany as well. Because the main office Correct. is in Germany. Correct. So Correct. they sell units, we sell units, but I believe we're down to probably I don't know, maybe three or something like that. Nice. <laughs> as far as the that's the that's a great problem. great problem, right? Yeah. David, it's a one great thing problem I do to have. have. One thing I do want to harp on is I think what. So I grew up in India, right? If somebody had to invest from US to India, I have to actually educate them on the contract laws and I have to, under- I have to make sure that they understand the way things work in, the, in India, right? So when we're investing, I know you and I were talking off air before about the contract laws and everything else and how the company is structured. Help us understand, like if I want to invest in Paraguay, invest tomorrow, how much should I be worried about from US? How much should I be worried? How much should I be worried about the contracts itself, right? Are they written in English? Do they hold, can I fight with them if there's an issue with my investment? Can I actually file a complaint somewhere or it's just lost in the ether? How does that work? Because that's the biggest risk right now, right? The biggest risk of unknown, not knowing it. So help us clarify that risk. Okay. Well, as far as the the risk with the agriculture itself, let's just talk about the investment. Sure. You can all, and it, this is plainly stated in the contract. There are risks of force majeure, you know, mm-hmm. fire, flooding, these kinds of things, some kind of pest that sure. kills everything. You know, we have insurance for that. And the company itself acts as the representative for the investor to file the claim against the insurance company to get things repaired. Okay. So, for example, if there's, for some odd reason, maybe a fire that burns 50% of the trees on your lot. Mm-hmm. Well, we will file a claim with the insurance company to get funds to replant those trees. Got it. Okay. You see, it's the same with the greenhouse. If, you, if there's a fire in the greenhouse or something like that, it's covered. Now, if you have an issue with the financial statement, or you have a question about that, then you would direct those questions to AgriTerra themselves. Okay. You know, to the company and say, okay, I'm not satisfied with this. Can you please explain this to me or whatever the case may be? If there is some kind of a a lawsuit that you want to file against the company for any reason, you would file that in Germany because the contract is under German jurisdiction, legal jurisdiction. So I think that's an important point for at least my listeners, right? Because you're not, the contract law is going to be in German language. They're going to be held accountable in Germany, correct? So any issues that you have with a contract, that's where you'll be, which brings a lot of comfort to begin with, right? Because because some of these developing nations, their jurisdictions are not that fast. It may take 12 years before your case is even looked at, right? So that's yeah, quite quite frankly, Sakid, I mean, uh, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious to most people that if you have to be involved with a lawsuit for any reason, you'd rather be in Germany than Paraguay or or Definitely. Panama for that matter. Definitely, yeah. 
So as I mentioned in our discussion before, that was one of the key elements of this entire investment that attracted me was Mm -hmm. insurance against fraud and embezzlement, insurance for force majeure, and legal representation in Germany. Right. Very important. Right, right. Very important. David, I, this is wealth of knowledge. You have wealth of knowledge. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of questions that this conversation would have triggered already. So, I, but I want to be respectful of your time. So, David, we're coming to the end of the show. So, uh, two questions I always end with before we go into the last segment. One's going to be, you've had an excitement career, right? I, I know we didn't talk about your career at Panasonic at all, but you've had a great career. So, when you go back, if you were to go back to your 20-year-old self, David, and you have to give one insight that would make their migration and life more intentional and more productive. How are you define productive? What would that be? I think that no matter where you go in the world to live, obviously as a foreigner, I think you have to have a really open mind. And I think it's very important to immerse yourself in the culture yeah. and society and just have a, a real open mind. And because, you know, I've met some interesting people, you know, during my life that I never expected to meet. I, it just sort of happened and they opened up different doors for me that were a little bit different than what, what I had planned on. But I think a, an open mind and a willingness to just embrace people, you know, right. just embrace them, you know, learn a different language. You know, I mean, I learned to speak German when I lived in Germany. I learned to speak Spanish because I live in, in Latin America, you know. So coming to a country like this, like Panama or Germany or anywhere, I mean, some languages obviously are far more difficult than those. Right, right. I'm not disputing that. But of the main, you know, common languages around the world, like English, it's a very easy language to learn. Spanish right. is quite easy. They're all interconnected in some ways. But what I'm trying to say is, if you really want to understand the people that you're living around and you really want to prosper from being there, learn the language, learn the culture, have an open mind, and things will just happen in your favor. That's, That's all awesome. That's awesome. David, I have a feeling the answer to the next question may be very similar. What is one thing you want the humanity to migrate towards intentionally? Like the whole of the humanity. I, what is your one vision desire for the whole humanity to migrate towards, right? If you were given that choice, where, where should, what is that one area where we think, do you think there's a lack right now? I think there's a lack of love. Yeah. And that really it goes around, love, right? It all comes down to love. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think love is always at the forefront of human nature, mm-hmm. but the flip side of that coin or that double-edged sword is that discrimination, racism, and hatred is very easy to feel. Mm-hmm. You know, you can influence that uh, quite easily by a lot of different factors. But I think that love and forgiveness, mm-hmm. that's the best. And Man, that's I love maybe that. the most difficult. Yeah. That probably is, right? Because part of the thing is, I think it's like last, your last question about your insights to your 20-year-old self. It's because part of that is you want to learn the language and the culture so that you can develop an understanding. 
so you can understand where they're yeah. coming from, right? And essentially, yeah. love's the same way. You just got to understand where people are coming from. Yeah, you have they're... to. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's happened to me sometimes in my life where I totally misread a person. Right. You know, and, and then later on, I realized, wow, was how wrong was I? This is a great, great individual. Yeah. But initially, you know, it's so easy to have this sort of, mm, well, you know, I don't know about them or anything, you know. Right. And then once you open up, they'll open up. And then, you know, that I think that's the best of the human experience. I love that, David. On that great note, how can people get in touch with you, David? Well, you can go to our website, which is paraguayaginvest.com. Okay, so you can actually go to the website. If you want to contact me directly, then my email is david at paraguayaginvest.com. Perfect. We'll include that in the show notes below, David. Again, thank you for call, for dialing in. And I really appreciate your insights. And um, I'm excited about the agriculture industry. I think, I think there's that's a future natural resource that's in scarcity. And I'm glad you guys are doing something about it. All right. Well, thank you very much. And it was indeed a pleasure to meet with you and speak with you. And I would really like to maintain this contact and this communication for the future. Let's do that. Let's do that, David. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good week. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.